Hey. I've heard it suggested to put one of those clocks up when I'm preaching. Uh, <laughs> did I hear an amen over there? All right. Thank you. Okay. Well, I've, um, I think since the church began, our membership class have told this story, so any one of you who've gone through that class have heard it, and I was looking back to see if I, uh, when I told it, because I know it hasn't been that long ago, I told it in a, a sermon that I did, but I'm going to tell it to you again this morning. Um, many of you know that, or some of you know, that Becky and I, before we came here, we had a church in Wisconsin, it's the only other church that we've had um, in the years of, of ministry, and uh, it's in Lodi, Wisconsin, beautiful little town. In French, it means peaceful valley, a town of about 2,000 people. And one of the things that is fun about a small town uh, is that it typically would have like one or two of the favorite restaurants. And around uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, some of the farmers would come in from town and the businessmen would take a break and they would... Uh, you know, have a little time of coffee and a donut or a piece of pie around 10 o'clock in the morning. And one of those restaurants was really the favorite one. I think it was because of the pie they made. And, and it, it had a table, kind of a community table. And back in those days, it was just all men. I suppose that's changed now. But, uh, but it was, men would sit around that table, maybe for like 20 minutes, half an hour, depending. And, you know, just talk, kind of, you know, talk. You know, guys talk, and, and uh, uh, so I thought coming in there, there were we we were like a brand new church in this little town, and uh, there were five other churches before we came, and and I, I thought you know one good way to get to know uh, the people in the town would be to go down to this restaurant like once or twice a week and have a cup of coffee with the guys sitting around this table, and and uh, and, and at first it kind of freaked them all out because they knew I was the pastor and. And um, language cleaned up, and uh, you know the jokes changed, and but but that didn't last too long. And, every, and I mean, you can only do that so long. And and then I just became one of the guys there. And I mean, I didn't, you know. But anyway, uh, but they they uh, you know, and, and so a, a lot of these guys, as I got to know them, I found out that some of them were uh, leaders, elders, um, in some of the other churches, and. But listening to that, you know, the only, only time I ever heard him talk about Jesus Christ was in profanity. And, uh, and uh, so I realized they probably didn't have a relationship with Christ if, if they would use his name in cursing. And, and, uh, and then one of the things that happened was that they began changing pastors in some of the other churches. And so, um, uh, and, and one of the things that you do in a small town uh, is like a Thanksgiving or Good Friday you would have a community service, and you'd take turns going from one church to the other. And every time a new pastor would come and, you know, would start, uh, the, he would be kind of the one who would speak. Uh, and, and so, you know, I'd, I'd had a few years to get to know the guys around the table, and, um, and, and then this uh, new guy came in, and, and he spoke on Good Friday and gave just an incredible sermon. It was just oh, wonderful about... Jesus Christ and his resurrection and salvation through Christ and 
And so I thought, wow, you know, this is going to be interesting to see what happens, because I knew one of the guys in that church was sat around the table who was an elder, one of the main leaders of that church. I thought, wow, this is going to be great, because, you know, he's going to, I mean, he's going to hear about the gospel and Christ, and it's going to be a change in his life, or if there's not a change in his life, he's not going to be an elder anymore. Um, you know, this going to be kind of a cleaning up that needs to be done. So I waited, and a year passed, and, and uh, a little bit better than a year passed, and, and nothing changed with this guy. And he, he uh, didn't, also didn't stop being an elder in the church. And so I, I had a pretty good relationship with this pastor. We, we actually became friends and, and um, had a lot of conversation together. So I, I said, you know, I, I got to ask you, what do you mean when you talk about salvation through Jesus Christ? And, and he said, well, it's like this, Steve. It's like you got a mountain and God's at the top of the mountain. And we've all got different ways to climb the mountain to reach God. And Christianity, Jesus Christ, is one of those ways. This morning, we're going to, we are beginning a series in John's Gospel. And I've given it this title because of a statement Jesus made about himself that was, was the very opposite of what this pastor said. And he said it to his disciples in the midst of the longest, and I would say probably the most, up to that point, the most difficult night in their entire lives. And John began writing about this night in the 13th chapter of his gospel. Jesus is eating the Passover meal with his disciples. He knows that it's the last night that he's going to be with them before his arrest and his crucifixion, his death. And before this night, he's repeatedly told them that he came to die for the sin of mankind. But if you read all four gospels, you'll see how they never quite got it. They, they were always dismissing it. They they were refusing to accept it, that he was going to die. But on this night, he doesn't allow them to avoid it. In the midst of their meal together, he takes the bread and the cup and makes it very clear that each one represents his death for their sin. It's on this same night that he shocks them with the truth that one of them will betray them, him. It's on this night that he tells Peter that he's going to deny him not just once, but three times. This is the night of his agonizing prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in, a, in a matter of a few hours, he turns their world upside down. They're overwhelmed with fear. And it's in response to this fear that he gives them the, 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 really the, the greatest promise that any person could be given. He tells them that he's leaving to go to his father, but he's coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to take them to a place that he, he'll be preparing for them, where they'll be with him forever. I mean, can you think of anything better than that to hear? I, I can't, and especially in the midst of the worst night yet in their lives. It's Thomas who asked the question that led Jesus to make the Strongest statement that any person could make about themselves. He, he, he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? To which Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Next to saying he's God himself, there, there really, there's no stronger claim that Jesus could make than this. No? I mean, think about it. If right, if right now I made that claim about myself, what, what would you all do? You know, if I, if I said that? I, or or if, if you came in this morning and you sat down where you're sitting right now and you said hi to the person next to you and you said, you know what, I, you know, you introduced yourself and you said, I, I'm... I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one can come to God the Father except through me. I mean, what do you think the people around you would do if you, if you said that? Especially if you said that to your wife or your, to your husband. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, that's what Jesus said about himself. And this claim is one of the reasons, really the reason Jesus is one of the most controversial figures in human history. And some, some people would argue that he is the most controversial person. And that's why we're doing this series. It's to answer what's really the central question of history, and that the question is, who is Jesus Christ? Who is he really? You know, you, you might try this, okay? Get, a, get a, a, a bunch of people together. You know, I don't mean a bunch of church people, just any, any group of people that you know, neighbors, uh, friends, coworkers, and, and ask them to make a list of the top 10 people that they would say have, ha have had the, the, the greatest impact, the greatest influence on the entire human race through, throughout all of history. And, 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 and I'm, I'm betting that there'd be a, like a 99.9% .9 chance that that list would include Jesus Christ. You might make a mental list yourself. I, I asked some of our staff um, that throw me out some ideas of what they thought. And I got names like Buddha and Mohammed and, and Karl Marx, Adolf Hitler, uh, Adam and Eve. And I thought, that, that's right. That's a good one. Or Johannes Gutenberg, you know what he did? Uh, printing breasts, right? Or Thomas Edison, and, or Henry Ford, or Bill Gates. Somebody said Bill Gates. And of course, I can understand this one. Howard Schultz, right? You, all, you would all agree with that, right? You know who he is, right? Founder of Starbucks. So just thought I'd mention that. It's kind of a coffee morning here with what I've got up here. So, but... One of the things that makes Jesus distinct from every one of these men and women is his claim to deity, his claim to be God himself. Every other person who's made a claim like this has been dismissed as a crackpot. Yet Jesus made this claim, and throughout history, millions of people have believed it. Millions of people living today believe it's true. And, and, and we're not talking about wacky, way-out, weird kinds of people. We're talking about the normal person on the street. People from every culture and nation, people at every level of education, all the way to PhDs and scientists and lawyers and doctors and MBAs and all of those. And, 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 and we're talking about people at every level of society, those, those with, the, with the least power and those at the highest level of power and influence. Who knows how many thousands and upon thousands of people have been willing to die because of their faith in Christ, because they believe his claim to be God. And not only his claim to be God, but also the claim 
that he made to his disciples that night when he made that statement, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. <laughs> the deal with this, everybody, is that there's too many people who've been impacted by Jesus Christ, and there's too much about him that no thinking person can possibly go ahead and form a philosophy of life, decide what it is that they're going to value and how they're going to live without first asking and answering this question, who is Jesus Christ? I have to find out if what he claimed about himself is true or if it's a total sham. I, I, can't, I can't go around this. None of us can. We, we have to think about it. We have to examine it. And that's why we're going to do this series in John's Gospel. It might be that you're here today and up to this moment you haven't thought about this question. <laughs> or it might be that you've been asking it and this is why you're here this morning. Or it might be that you've answered this question for yourself. You, you do believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, that he's the son of God. But, but anytime somebody asks you why you believe that, you don't really know exactly what to say. And I think this series that what we're going to be doing here over the next several weeks can help you with that. I, I, I think there's something for all of us in this series. And if I might add, okay, wherever we're at with this question, my prayer and, and, and my purpose in this series is the same as John, as John's for writing what he did in, in this New Testament book, which he stated, I don't know if you realize that, but in the 20th chapter he said, he, he gave the reason why he wrote this book. He said, he said, but these have been written, everything he wrote, he said, I've written it so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You see, John wrote this gospel to help people see that there's convincing reason to believe Jesus is God. And then not only trust in him as their savior, but also trust him with every part of their lives. Which I'm also praying for all of us. That as a result of our time in John's gospel, every one of us will be Strengthened in our faith in Jesus Christ and to, to trust him with everything in our lives. And, and really, and, and I know that some of us are, are facing some pretty big challenges right now. And so I, I, want, I want all of us, whether we're in, a, we're in the midst of a challenge right now or, or a year from now, to be able to look back at our time in the Gospel of John. And this, we found this time, the more we understood Jesus Christ, the more we're able to face that challenge. Well, this morning we're going we're gonna to begin with one verse in what biblical scholars have called uh, the prologue to John's gospel. And uh, the prologue being the first 18 verses. It's kind of funny, you know. Uh, you, you, you have an idea of what you're going to preach when you begin uh, working on a sermon. And sometimes that's not always the way it is. I was actually going to preach on all 18 verses. Is that funny or what? You know, uh, because what, what I ended up, I'm not even preaching on a full verse this morning when it's all said and done, uh, which is, it's like, whoa. Like it's, like Jesus Christ is so multidimensional. It's like you can, it's just, there's no end to where you can go when you begin 
talking about him. So we're going to focus on one thing this morning, one verse and, and one thing. And, and the one thing is this, what it means that Jesus is the word, that he's the word. And we're going to see three reasons John used this word to describe Jesus. And, 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 and if I could just say this, you're going you're to want to write this down. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give them to you in three concise statements to make that easy. So if you haven't yet, you know, I'd say, really, it'd be worth it. Get your pen out, get a piece, you know, pull out that bulletin. And all I'm going to ask you to do is write out three things this morning, okay? And, and, and it'll be worth it for you to do it, okay? Now, I'm going to give them to you in a minute. But first the verse and then the context of the whole thing that we're going to talk about today, all right? So here, here's, here's the verse. Verse 1, two phrases. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. In the beginning refers to the beginning of the universe. This, this takes us back to the very first verse in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It sounds almost identical. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So here's John telling us that the word, or Jesus, was already in existence when the heavens and the earth were created. Now, stay with me, okay? Because I'm about to do something that might bring back some painful memories for all of you. Okay, we're going to do a little grammar. Remember that, grammar? What, what, what that? Okay. So, what verb is repeated in these two phrases? What verb? In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. Okay? Was. It's the word. In the Greek, this verb is written in the imperfect tense. And now you're going, oh, thank you, Steve. That made my day of just, you know, really... Wanted to know that. But you know what? It's actually very significant. And here's why. What, what John is saying is that, that, that Jesus was continually in existence before the beginning of the universe. He, he was never created. He always existed. He was always God. And i got to tell you that. It's really important to know. Okay? It's always, always God. Okay. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is the word? Why, why does John use this word to describe him? Well, he does it for three reasons. And reason number one is this. It emphasizes that Jesus is the clearest revelation of who God is. So that's what you can write down, okay? Jesus is the clearest revelation of God. Each Sunday, we, um, we come into this building from every direction... And we pass each other in the hallway. We see each other in the lobby. We walk into this room with each other. And very often we sit in the same place. Some of us even sit in the same place every Sunday with most of the same people sitting in front of us and behind us and, and to the side of us. And, you know, you know now, you know what? Uh, there's things you can learn about, uh, about the people around you by what they do or what they don't do. But more often than not, the most we can do is make inferences about each other. We, we see a person do or 
or not do something, and, and all we can do is make a certain conclusion about them, and very often we might not even be right in what we conclude. See, unless we've had the opportunity to have a conversation with that person where they've actually spoken to us, we really don't know them. We really don't know them. For example, example, I, I've got a good friend who's been attending Brookside for, in fact, I, I sent him an email to make sure I had it right, about 13, 14 years though he doesn't know I'm going to do this this morning. Uh, and, and we've had many conversations. And so we've been able to get to know each other very well. Now, one of the things I know about this guy, I'm not, what, what should we call him? Um, want to give me a name? Like, huh? Donnie? Okay, we'll call him Donnie. <laughs> one of the things I know about Donnie is that he's got a huge heart, Okay. In all the right ways, he's a deeply emotional guy, this Donnie is. Okay? And, and this carries into the, his worship in this room each, each Sunday. He, he feels a lot of emotion as we're worshiping God. I, I know this is true of Donnie because he's talked with me about the love he feels toward God when we're worshiping here Sunday morning. I tell you what, sit, sit behind him or sit to the side of him on a Sunday morning and watch him worship, you'd never guess it. I mean, his lips barely move. His arms and his hands are right down at his side. And I, I swear the guy doesn't move an inch, okay? Not, and, and, and so you, you watch him and, and you think to yourself, you know what, he's not really into what, what's going on right now, when the truth is he really is, big time. And the reason I know is that he told me. Here's the thing to know when it comes to really knowing God, everybody. Well, it's true that we can know all sorts of things about God without speaking to us. I mean, no question about it. God revealing himself to us through creation is pretty amazing. It's awesome. But it needs to go to the next level. And, and fortunately, God took it to the next level by revealing himself to us through scripture. The, the Bible is God's written word to us, and we learn a ton about God through it. I mean, this is a wonderful book to have. I'm so thankful for it. But you know what? To really know God, I mean, to really know God, it takes Jesus. Jesus is God's final and clearest word to us. Jesus is God making himself known in a real historical human being. Jesus Christ is the clearest revelation of who God is. Now, here's what this means for each one of us. Two things. Number one, I would say we should make it a priority to know Jesus Christ. I mean, it only makes sense, right? If, if Jesus is God's clearest revelation of himself, he's worth every bit of time and effort it takes to know him as well as you possibly can. And, and, and so here we are now. We're in this series in John's gospel that's all about Jesus. And I would just say, everybody, one of the best things you can do over the next several weeks as we're in this New Testament book is read it, reread it, and read it again. I mean, just... just Read it. 
Many, many times. So don't just wait to hear it from me on Sunday morning, but dig into it yourself. And, and, and then if, if I could be as, as bold as to say, okay, don't min, miss listening to every sermon, okay? And I would say the best time to listen to each sermon is here on Sunday so you can connect it together with worship. But if you have to be gone, then I would just say, and, and I'm, I know it may, might sound a little bold and, you know, but boy, go online and listen to it. Don't miss a sermon. Don't, don't miss a sermon. So number one, make it a priority to know Jesus. Number two, base your faith on Jesus. Base your faith on Jesus. There's many good reasons to believe that Christianity is true. But the number one reason is Jesus Christ. He's a compelling proof that the God of the Bible and Christianity is true. You know, we hear, we, we hear about watertight arguments for, beliefs, for believing something is true. You know what? God's done more than give, a, give, us a, give us watertight arguments. God's given us a watertight person. Eh? And so if you're here today and, and you're on a quest for spiritual truth, you're still on that journey to know what to believe and why to believe it. If I could just speak for, to you for a moment, the best thing I could say is begin this journey by looking carefully at the life Jesus lived and the words he spoke. Each one of the Gospels, and the Gospel of John included, were written, written by eyewitness eyewitness accounts of his life. Each book was written by men who were so convinced of the deity of Jesus Christ, uh, the deity of Jesus Christ that he's God, that they, they devoted their lives to serving him, to making him known to others. And in the end, they died because they believed it was true. Look carefully at the life that Jesus lived and the words he spoke, compare what he taught to how he lived. See the perfect consistency. See the impact he had on, on the lives of people around him. Not only by his power to do the miraculous, his power to heal, but his power to bring hope to men and women who had no hope whatsoever. See how loving and gracious and kind he was and how he, how he responded to people. Read the scripture describing his death and his resurrection and see the life-changing impact that it had on every single one of the disciples. You see, do this carefully and with an open mind and I'm convinced that you'll find that Jesus Christ is a watertight, uh, a watertight person against whom there's no argument. No argument because he's perfect. His life towers above all other lives. He's, he's inexplicable apart from the truth that he's God. There, there's really no other reasonable explanation. And, and you know what I would even say? If, if you are a believer in Christ, okay, and you're having a conversation with somebody about your faith in you know, and Christianity and your faith in Christ... I would say one of the most important things you could say to that person is to say, you know what? The best thing you can do is, is to try to, your best to understand Jesus Christ and, and encourage them to just get in it and to begin reading the Gospels. I, I, you know, one of the mistakes people often make when they're, when they, when they're asking the question and they, you know, they look at the Bible and they want to understand it, they, they start reading in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. 
But I would just say that's not the place to start because I just know for sure they're going to get to Leviticus, you know, and that just shuts it down for a lot of people, you know. And, and so start, encourage people to start with the Gospels to get to know Jesus. So the first reason John describes Jesus as the word is to emphasize Again, that he's the clearest revelation of who God is. Reason number two. John used that word to emphasize that Jesus is the reason for life. That's the second thing to write down. He's the reason for life. Again, John wrote this in verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. The, 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 the word, word, the Greek word is logos. Okay? Back then, that was a loaded term, a loaded word. And John knew exactly what he was saying when he used it. The, the logos that the Greeks debated over was the reason for life. What are we here for? What, what is life for? What's the purpose of our existence? You see, the Greeks debated trying to find the logos of life. They, they did this, and people are still doing it today. We should do it, because if we can understand our purpose, our logos, our reason for life, and, 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 and bring our lives into conformity with this, then we're going to realize our potential. We'll become everything we're supposed to be. Now, Becky and I have gotten into using this, uh, called a French press. Uh, we only use it in the morning for our breakfast. In fact, I make it, and I just bless Becky every morning with it. Uh, if, you have, if you haven't had coffee with a French press, you haven't had coffee, let me just tell you, okay? Now, this is actually, this is a brand new one. We always have one in the box in the cupboard because we've broken three already. They're, they're really easy to break. Um, and uh, so we want to make sure we got one, <laughs> you know, because we love French press coffee. But, but anyway, yeah, one, of the, one of the things, though, is for a long time, uh, our first French press actually sat in the cupboard for about two to three years. We never used it. Until one morning... And you're going to think, boy, they got to be clumsy. But one morning we broke the glass. How do you say carafe? Yeah, we broke that one. We didn't have another one. And we couldn't get one very quickly. And so we started using this French press. Um, it's just, yeah, it's really sad, you know, that we didn't let that, that French press achieve its logos. You know, the reason for its existence. I mean, it was a sad deal for that French press. But you know what? Once we began using it, we realized it was even more tragic because of what we had been missing for so long. Listen, everybody. You know what? It's infinitely more tragic for us to miss the logos, the reason, the purpose of our existence. People are living for all sorts of things these days, and, and, and what they're finding is that none of them quite do what they thought they'd do. They, whether it's success or pleasure or fame or money or possessions or looks or whatever, not, none of them are reasons for living that are fully satisfying. There's always something missing. There's this void. 
And John's statement about Jesus burst on our minds as big a bombshell as it did when he first wrote it. He's he's saying that Jesus is the Logos. He's the reason for living. He's, He's saying we find our purpose in him. Know him, love him, serve him, and your life is going to be filled with purpose. God's purpose, purpose that will always satisfy. He's saying allow Jesus to be the main reference point in all your decisions. Allow him to be the highest priority in your life, your inspiration, your motivation. And he's saying, you know what? He's going to never let you down. He's never going to let you down. I think you might know the question I'm going to ask, okay? It's this question. Is he? Is Jesus Christ your reason for living? If not, what or who is? And how's it going? See, I would say to you this morning, allow Jesus to be your reason for living, and you're never going to regret it. Here's the third reason John described him as the word. Use it to emphasize that Jesus is the guide for life. So write that down. Jesus is the guide for life. He's, he's not just the logos, meaning he's, he's God's clearest revelation and the reason for life. He's also the logos, meaning he's the guide for life. He's, he's the number one person to go to for truth. He is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's the guide to show us how to live, how to achieve God's potential. In the 17th chapter of Matthew's, of his gospel, Matthew, there's another gospel now, Matthew's gospel, writes about Jesus taking Peter and James and John with him up into a high mountain. And it's there that he's transfigured before them, where they're able to see a glimpse of, of his true glory as, as, as God. And I mean, and can you imagine what that must have been like? And Moses and Elijah show up and they're talking to Jesus. And I mean, to say the least, it's a mind-blowing experience to have. And, and, and it's one of those not-so-rare times when Peter speaks before thinking. Remember that? I'll paraphrase it. He says, this is really cool, Jesus. I like it up here. Let's stay up here. I'll build, I'll build a, a tent for you. And, a, and, 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 then, and then and it's like he said, I didn't quite get your name. You know, like Moses. You know, like, what, you know I'll build one for you guys too. Yeah? And while he's saying this, God speaks for, from heaven. It's, it's, I, I can almost hear God going, shh, Peter. And, but this is what God said. This is what God said. He said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. And, and then, do you know what he said next? Oh, well, you got it up there. He said, listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. I'd say that's a good word for all of us. Listen to him. Listen to him, especially living in a world where the wisdom of the age tells us that there is no absolute truth, where, where so many are saying, no one can tell me what's right or wrong. And you know, what, you know what? The wisdom of man almost always disappoints. 
And so I'd say to you this morning, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, the wisest and the best thing for any one of us is to listen to Jesus, to know what's true and to know what's right and how to live. You know what? You'll never go wrong doing this. You'll never be disappointed. And I would say if you're having a conversation with somebody, and let's say you are, you are a follower of Christ, you believe in Christ, and you're having a conversation with somebody who doesn't share your faith in Christ. You know what? You know what? One of the best pieces of advice you could ever give to them? And I think it could end up being the most convincing thing for them to want to, be, to become a follower of Jesus Christ is tell them, read what Jesus said. You're going to find it's the best wisdom for how to live life. And if they start doing that and they see it, they'll go, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. So why did John call Jesus the word? Did you write it down in your notes? Did it emphasize that Jesus is the clearest revelation of God? He's the reason for living and he is the guide for life. You know, I have so much respect for people who ask themselves, life's most important questions. And I'm convinced the most important question for all of us is the one that we're going to answer in this series. Who is Jesus Christ? And so if you're here today and you've been asking this question, I'd like to ask you to use this series to answer it. Give yourself the time you need and think it through carefully. And if, not, if I can add this, if at any point this question's answered for you and you're saying to yourself, you know what? He's got to be who he said he is. He's got to be God. He's got to be the truth and the way and the life. Then if that happens to you, then do what every person's done before who's convinced he's God. In that moment, trust in him as your savior and surrender to him as your Lord. You might be ready to do that today. Or if you're here this morning, and this question's been answered for you, you do believe he's God. You might have, you know, you might have believed that for years or weeks or months or days, but here's what I'd like to ask you today. As we're going through John's gospel, and the more the truth of who Jesus Christ is sinks in, let that truth impact your life. Let it transform you so that more than ever before, the character of Jesus Christ is formed in you. you. You know what, everybody? For all of us, there comes that time in our lives when Jesus does for us what he did for his disciples. He doesn't let us avoid who he is and what it means for our lives. I'm so glad. You know, so glad that he faces us with the truth that he is God and, and, and the difference that that can and should make in each one of our lives. And, and so I, I'm going to ask if you'll do something for me, okay? Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me that, that Jesus Christ will do that to me in this series as I'm, as I'm preparing it and preaching it. Will you pray that for everybody in this room? You know what? I'm convinced it's the thing for each one of us to do, to pray for ourselves and to pray for one another that God will just use this time in this gospel in our life as we come to understand better and better who Jesus Christ is. Let's stand and, and, um, and I'll pray and then Rob's going to come and worship team and lead us in a 
opposing song, okay? If you're here today and you're saying, man, Steve, you know what? I came almost ready and, uh, you know, I've been asking that question and, man, it's kind of clicking for me today and I, I do believe he's God and I, I want him to be my savior. You know what? You can, you, can, you can just tell him that. You can just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need Jesus Christ and I ask him to be my savior. That's a powerful prayer. You can pray that as I'm praying, okay? Father, for all of us, I pray that in the weeks to come, as we're in this book, that your Holy Spirit will help us understand who Jesus Christ really is. For your glory and in Christ's name, amen. Amen.